we are going to look tonight at the passages in Mark that are unique to Mark. A little bit of statistics that will be interesting. Of Mark's 662 verses, of Mark's 662 verses, 609 are represented as having parallels in Matthew on this chart. In the case of Luke, figures are less definite. The diagram back here shows 357 verses of Mark closely paralleled in Luke. But in addition, some 95 verses of Mark are represented in the sections, chiefly those shown in red and yellow, where Luke is apparently combining Mark with other material and where a lower degree of verbal correspondence with Mark is found. In other words, Matthew tends to contain more of Mark. No surprise. Luke contains a great deal of Mark, 357 verses out of Mark's 662. Total verse count are found pretty substantially verbally dependent on Mark in Luke. But there are a whopping 95 verses in Luke where Luke has so combined it with other materials, um, material from Q and material from other sources, that it's really kind of hard to make a solid judgment call between material that, that he's quoting from Mark and material he's quoting from other locations. You can say, well, Mark says something kind of like this and uses some of these same words and sees these same grammar constructions, but he doesn't contain this, he doesn't contain that, he doesn't contain this other stuff, and, and it can get a little bit confusing, and you can kind of see that reflected on the board uh, in Luke, where you have this mishmash of stuff unique to Luke, stuff from Mark, stuff from Q, all kind of blended together, reflecting his character as an editor, drawing from multiple sources. I thought these figures were fascinating. 662 verses in Mark. Of them, 609 are represented as having parallels, extensive parallels in Matthew. Not just, well, it says something kind of like this, but it's these words in this order, in this sequence, with these verbal constructions, with this grammar found in Matthew. And a high percentage also, 357, in Luke. That's just fascinating. I like and the way, you, I don't know where you got this one, but I the, that the 98%. Yeah, that, when you combine yeah, them all together. That's incredible. When you combine them all together, you get 98% reproduction. But you've got to compare and contrast Matthew and Luke and combine them together. Because the 600... The 609 verses in Matthew that are close quotes out of Mark's 662 verses are not always the same verses that Luke does the, does the same thing with. Sometimes it's different ones. So when you do combination, you get 98%. That's what the figure comes down to. And you can see that represented in the, the buildup of Mark back there 
with only a few little slivers of green, which means it's unique to Mark, not found in Matthew and Luke. And tonight, that's what we're going to look at. The stuff that's unique to Mark that's not found in Matthew, not found in Luke. And the very first one is the very first verse of Mark. So turn to Mark 1.1. 1, 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Hmm. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the first verse of Mark. Rather straightforward, nice and short and sweet and simple. What's the beginning of Matthew's gospel? Matthew's gospel begins, An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's fascinating. And looking at Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 1, how does Luke begin? Chapter 1, verse 1 of Luke, Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, well, very different as well. And if you compare the beginning of Mark to the equivalent sections in Matthew and Luke, i.e. right there at the story of John the Baptist, you find that it doesn't help any. That doesn't help any either. An account of the, ge uh, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, is how Matthew begins. Mark begins totally uniquely. In fact, all three begin uniquely from each other. And that should not be a surprise. As we will see, about half of these differences, about half of these unique references are in the order, in the form of transitional passages, little comments, little bits of a side commentary, that got left out by Matthew or Luke while quoting Mark. Only a very few are important pieces. But let's just walk through the list. What category does this come under? This comes under uh, the lacking of a transitional. Okay. A very introduction. I mean, there's the, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You, you could say that that reference for Son of God is important, but you've you got, yeah. you got it elsewhere in Matthew and Luke. You, you notice that Mark, it's called a gospel. The good news is gospel. Matthew doesn't call his that. <laughs> the author of Matthew doesn't use that term. Interesting. Not that it's Luke. Mark does. That's fascinating. But it's just the introduction that got chopped off by Matthew and Luke as they took the rest of this and used it as the basis for their <coughs> account, particularly here with regards to John the Baptizer. Not important, but fascinating nevertheless. And you could talk a long, at length about that very first verse and the fact that it's, it references this book as a gospel, and that's the only one, by the way, that starts that way. Well, it also makes pretty clear that, that Mark's gospel has a very theological bent to it. They all do. Um, but it, this one just comes right out and says it at the very beginning with uh, just slapping you in the face. 
with it. Now, Matthew does in a different way. It starts with his genealogy bit, placing Jesus square within the tradition of the Jewish people, which is extremely important to a Jewish Christian reader. Luke similarly <coughs> is addressing an other Gentile or Gentiles in general, specifically with regards to why he's writing this book, this account. So that you may, down in verse 4, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. I mean, this opening sequence here in Luke sets the stage as well. All three set their theological intent, their intent in writing. Matthew, Mark's is just short and sweet and to the point, bango. Well, he mentions Isaiah. Where do the other two get into that later? And he's... Mark is using his authority as Isaiah the prophesied. If you go to Matthew chapter 3, In those days John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said. So that's where Mark comes in in Matthew. But you notice how Mark introduces his gospel is not carried over even here. Not at the beginning of Matthew and not in chapter 3. But that's where he starts quoting Mark. It's in those days rather than in uh, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. Fascinating. Chapter 2, verse 18. Okay, now this gives you an example of another kind of omission that frankly you almost don't catch. When you read through these things you don't catch it much at all. Oops. Beginning at verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to him, why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Now Looking over in Matthew 9, 14. Matthew 9, 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Hmm. Let's just use that. Look at Luke in a moment. But well, let's make the point here with just this. Mark, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? That's Mark. Matthew, then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And you think, well, what's the difference? Well, it's an editorial difference. <laughs> Yet again, a transition has been left out. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So I, that's totally so nobody wants to credit that as the same as Marcus. Oh no, it's no, no question that the source is there. What is being said is that those words are not found anywhere in. Matthew or Luke. The setting is not found anywhere. 
The, the exact literary statement is not found. The transition has dropped the words. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And that, when you drop that, it opens up the question of who is doing the speaking. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast as opposed to Mark's? And people came and said, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? When you drop the transitional introduction in verse 18a of Mark chapter 2, you open up the question. It allows Matthew to adjust the speaker. But those words are missing. Again, this is a fairly inconsequential, yet textually real omission of Mark, Mark and material from Matthew and Luke. Luke does something similar in chapter 5, verses 33, beginning in verse 33. And they said to him, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Again, it's clear they're both using Mark as their source. There's no question about that. But their editorial process dropping out the introduction. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting allows then Matthew and Luke to then adjust the, editorially adjust the speaker, make it more direct. That it's <laughs> yeah. the disciples of John you. speaking. I'm with you, Pete. <laughs> you don't see a difference. Hope nobody, not one that makes a hill of beans difference. I didn't say it made a hill of beans difference. <laughs> I just left it out. You've pointed to parallels that are much less they are parallels. Obvious than that. Oh no, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Matthew and Luke aren't using Mark. They most definitely are, but they've dropped this this transitional introduction, which sets it as now John's disciples and the Pharisees were faster. That's not going on. Instead, they're asking a question. Then the disciples of John came to him and said, "Why do we and the Pharisees fast?" which could be asked at any time, not while they're fasting. So while I agree with you, it's entirely inconsequential, it gives you an editorial understanding of how they used Mark, chopped out a piece, and then it freed them to then use it however they wished. Nevertheless, it's a fact that verse uh, 18a has no parallel. Is it important? Nope. But it's an example of one of the very few missing verses. That's another thing. There aren't many that do this. That'd be one of the two percent between yeah. two. It's one of the most unimportant ones. Let's look at a more important one. Three nineteen through twenty-one. Then he went home, and the crowd came together again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For people were saying, he is beside himself. There's no parallel in Matthew or Luke. At all. Nowhere does Matthew and Luke say, the family of Jesus 
in this area, it does not quote this passage and say, they went out to seize him, for the people were saying he is beside himself. Is that, is that not kind of a thematic aspect of Mark that uh, people don't understand? The people, yes. Family. Jesus' mommy and daddy and brothers and sisters, although daddy isn't mentioned here. His family. Yeah, King James says well, friend. Friends? Yeah, and when his friends heard that they went out to lay hold on. Oh, really? really? Yeah. Wow. Friends? That's what this, <laughs> yes. Uh, the word is family. This is 319, what is this? 321. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. His own people heard this. His own Ooh. people, okay. What translation? NIV's family, This is... Uh, <laughs> it's red. Yeah, American Standard. Okay, American Standard, all right. Hmm, his own people. I suppose you could understand that as an extended family. Well, the word is basically family. Friends? Hey. And what yours, yours what ours says out of mind, doesn't it? Yeah. He's out of his mind, not beside himself. He's out of yeah, his he's mind. He's out of his mind. He's yeah. beside himself. He's nuts. He's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, this says that he's possessed by Beezabel. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's excellent. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. Oh. He cast out the demons by their ruler of the demons. Well, how can Satan? Yeah, then he's going to talk about that in 23. Yeah, yeah that's a well, That's just setting it up for 23. It's setting it up for 23. That's exactly what it's doing. Yeah. It's setting it up for 23. We're better than that. We can think that out. Okay. Go to Mark 4, 26 through 29. One of the more significant omissions. That wasn't unimportant. This is extremely significant. Where are we going? Mark 4, 26 through 29. This is the only parable that is totally omitted in the other two Gospels. There's a part, there are partial omissions of, of another parable. But this is the only parable that is totally omitted. Then he said, this is uh, 26 through 29 of Mark 4. Then he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed upon the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should sprout and grow. He knows not how. The earth produces of itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he plucks, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Parable that is unique mark it's a you could say that Matthew and Luke preferred the other kingdom parables to this one some of which have a similar kind of setting in a field but the specifics of this parable are unique Again, the kingdom of God is as, is as if a man should scatter seed upon the ground and 
should sleep and rise night and day. When you first hear that scatter seed upon the ground, you think you're going to get something different. Seed upon the various kinds of ground. No, that's a different parable. That's not this parable. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed upon the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should sprout and grow he knows not how. Huh. It's like he scattered seed and day after day he gets up and he's almost like surprised that there, it's growing. Oh wow, look at that. It, it, it works. It's growing. Shazam! This is saying that that's comparing or basically explaining in depth the results of spiritual growth by that's accomplished in good soil. Is that like the note in your Bible? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. So they're interpreting it that way. That's an interpretation. Uh -huh. The earth produces of itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. You know him, yeah. <laughs> but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Once the, the kingdom comes to fruition, has grown and developed to the point that it's ready to move on, it's time to harvest it. It's time to come in and bring it in. The kingdom isn't there just to grow. It's there to grow and then produce a result. I thought the parables that Jesus was teaching in his time were understood by the people as having three majors. Uh -huh. So I got the one major that could be God out there, you know, because you never know what's going to grow when God touches it. Now I'm wondering where the other two persona is one of them the earth? I mean, where are the other two? Well, you've got the man one. who's scattering the seed upon the ground. That's who's one. that? Who's that? That could be Jesus. Or, or anybody going out to proclaim the gospel. That's right. The good news, the kingdom of God. It could be. What is the, the seed sprouting and growing? Corn. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! All right, man. Good job. Go, baby. That was good. Good that was job. Good. What, is the spree, what is the There's process of the seed sprouting and growing? That would be the churches, I would think. And mm -hmm. the people spreading, the word spreading. The word spreading. Word spreading. The churches are growing. The community growing yeah. in faith. And it grows through a process. Hence, the earth produces of itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. You go, the, the growth isn't just like an overnight bango and it's there. It has to go, grow through a process. So similarly, the kingdom of God grows over time. It's not something that comes in just bango magically overnight. It takes time to grow up. So, so that's that growth process. All of that's one. That's number two. What's number two? Number two goes from, I would growth say, process. from the whole growth process of spreads, the, the seed sprouting from the right. ground and growing, pro being produced, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of ear. But so the kingdom got, of God grows as a process. Seems to me you got, you got the man, you got the earth, yeah. and you got the seed. Yeah, those are the three mm. things that no, are doing something. something else in there. You got the man you got who's proclaiming the gospel. You got the seed, which is is the gospel message itself. Okay. You've got the, the, the developmental process, the, oh, the, the sheep, the wow. ear, the harvest itself, that's still the which seed. you then bring in. Still the seed. You want to place that as part of the seed, that's perfectly fine. 
Aren't you supposed to be? Didn't they understand that you could, if it's a real parable, then you can replace one with the other and just keep going in that triangle? In theory, yeah. In theory, I can see why he might have left this out in the other. Uh, There's th the, the best reason why this is left out is because it does a very poor job of doing what the other parables uh -huh. tend to do better in Matthew and in Luke. You got to work harder to figure it out. Well, you got to you got to work hard to figure out some of the other parables, but yeah. in this case, it it makes its point, but it's almost a self-evident point. The kingdom begins when you proclaim the message; it grows over time, and when it reaches the point of fruition, you gather it in. Okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a weak parable. Sorry, Jesus. Yeah, it, it works, but it's, in red it, it, it's a weaker parable compared to some of the others that we will look at next week. Maybe Mark left out or Q left out part of what's there. You know, that's what we're missing here. <laughs> Matthew and Luke left out this parable. They know where quoted. Where they preferred other parables. They call this kingdom of God, but they don't say, you know, usually one of those parables you can put God somewhere, like the prodigal son, for instance. He could be any of the three. And I'm not saying it here. Folks. Well, I'm it's not the man. God. I'm saying the kingdom well, the of man God. Could the the man. So God does something for the kingdom. I mean, we're not doing it. Yeah, well, you, you got to spread it. Well, God's not spreading it. The person spreading it could very well be the disciple. He's also saying it's it's also yeah. saying though that God you don't know us. how it happens. Well, it I just happens. That. I agree with that, but 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 God is the man and God is doing the harvest. God I think Good point. God's doing the harvesting. But then the man does not know how the kingdom grows. <laughs> I think God would know that. Now see that's I, there you go. That's a good point, Linda. That's a little weird. The man does yeah. not know how. Well of course God knows how the kingdom grows. God's God. So he's not it can't be. It can't be God. For grace, it has. So where the heck is God? Correct, correct. And so, but we don't understand that whole process. It just happens. Correct. I I agree. <laughs> That's helpful. Uh, and and that re is reflected in there. Yeah. So he knows not how. That's why I don't think that the 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 man who scatters the seed can be God. Although, in your average parable, it should be. Yeah. But it's not here. Too, too, too much ignorance on the part of the guy who scatters the seed and goes to bed and wakes up and goes to bed and wakes up and goes, oh, that? look at that, it's growing. Well, that's not God. That'd be somebody who preaches the gospel and is surprised that there's a response. You can't surprise God? Is that what you're saying? I don't think so. I would hope not. <laughs> but this is a parable that's left out. It's one of those green slivers. Let's keep going. You can see why. You can see why. Thank you. You can see why. Now, the other editorial bits that we, we picked up already, the first one, the eh, second one, oh, well, we're a big deal. I mean, you know. Uh, third one, well, that's interesting, but, you know, okay. And then this one, the growing, the self-growing seed, huh? Okay. I can kind of see why they left that one out. <laughs> they had other parables that were better at communicating the same message. Or even better message. Yeah. Uh, this is saying, Linda, this one's a little different, the commentary. It's saying the mysterious power of the seed. 
the mysterious power of the is emphasized. The gospel message contains its own power. No, it's true. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that's good. Me, that, I like that. This, this I can see other people might miss of that. Itself. See that, that seems of to be a real That's right. That's the mysterious power. How does that happen? You know, the seed it does. Go, Ooh, wow. And and the mustard seed, kind of, if you read that, it, it's sort of the same thing. It's the idea is the mustard seed is doing something kind of mysterious mm -hmm. by itself. I don't see God in that one at all. The, uh, but that so one's in Matthew and Luke. Maybe this. They like the mustard seed. I like mustard. And maybe this this analogy of the three agents or whatever you call it is, is not applicable to all the parables. You know? Well, no, certainly not this one. Yeah. You can use that as a paradigm, but it's not exclusive. Look at for just a moment Matthew chapter five. Not Matthew. Mark chapter five verse three. Look at Mark five three. This is another one of those where the editorial process has resulted in the dropping of content. We're going to see a couple of examples where, you know, usually Matthew and Luke flesh out the bare bones of Mark. This is an example where Matthew and Luke have dumped stuff that Mark had. So looking at Mark, uh, I'm going to back it up to verse 1 to give it a little context. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had come out of the boat, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, even with a chain. For he had often been bound with fetters and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the fetters he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and, the bruising, and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. When crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, son of Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. That's the whole story in Mark. Well, there is a conclusionary phrase but with about legion, but that doesn't apply because that's in all three. All right. The content, the, the center section is what's going to be important. All of that detail about the man. Matthew. So, I'm sorry, legion is only in... No, no, no. No, it's in all three. No. And oh. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is legion for... We are many. Well, that's in all three. Biggie and that's an, that's an uh -huh, uh -huh. that's in all three. Yeah. It's the detail between verses three and eight that are miss. That's that's been left out to some extent in Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter eight, verses twenty-eight to thirty-four. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes. Two demoniacs met him coming out of the tombs. Two this time. Yeah. So fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? 
That's pretty different, but it's pretty powerful also. Uh-huh. 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 He used Ackman's razor on that one, didn't he? There's an awful lot missing there. What have you to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a large herd of swine, were, I want to finish it for Matthew. Now a large herd of swine was feeding at some distance from them. The demons begged him, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. And they came out and entered the swine. And suddenly the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Keeps going. Where's all the bit about who had lived among the tombs to no one could bind any more than even with a chain for he had often been bound with fetters and chains the chains he wrenched apart and the fetters he broke in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones and when Jesus he saw Jesus from afar he ran and worshiped him I mean, where's that you don't need that. You got two of them now, <laughs> <laughs> and they recognize. Well, we got you. pigs. You got two. You're gonna turn pigs in both of them, right there. Yep. Three of them, all three of them. Yeah. You don't. Yeah, you in got Mark. Two guys. If you kept reading in Mark, you'd get okay. to this line. You got two guys. There's two demons. Two demons. And they're here. saying they're announcing your son of God and you're in power. Yeah, but there's where's all the material in Mark about them being chained up? You don't need. And them. you can't chain them up. You don't need it, but it's not there. Exactly. That's the point. Now, just as a little warning here, what we're going to read in Luke contains part of the material that we said is missing from Matthew and is missing from Matthew, but you'll notice it's in parentheses except for your King Jimmy. There's a reason for that. Let's read it. Luke 8. First, can you just imagine sure. what 2,000 pigs... <laughs> Running down. I mean, that's, 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 that's a lot of bacon. That's a lot of money right there. It's a it's it is Galilee. Jews don't eat pigs. Oh, yeah. It has to do with all of them Gentiles living in the uh, area. That's a lot of pigs. That's a lot of pig poop. That's a lot of bacon. Wow. Breaking home. Yeah, for Gentiles. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love a BLT. Okay, go to Luke eight. 26 through 39. Luke 8, 26 through 39. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, and he stepped out on land. And, and as he stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he lived not in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? God, I beseech you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. What do you see next? He was chained hand and foot. Now stop. Is it within a pair, within parentheses or brackets? It's mm -hmm. Unfortunately, not mm -hmm. in our NIV. It, <laughs> it isn't. Uh -uh. What does yours do, Pete? Was it parentheses, parentheses closed? Yeah. But, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the wilds. Close. Yeah, no, we got the NIV doesn't put it into parentheses no, it does or not. bracket. Mm -mm. Mine doesn't have it. 
Mine has it too. Yours doesn't have it at all. Yours has the parentheses. Yeah, it's the King James version. It has it has the parentheses. It starts with the parentheses and then for many times open parentheses. Mm-hmm. Really? The opposite, isn't it? Well, yeah, start here and there. Wow. Well, this morning, uh, Margaret's uh, King James didn't have the parentheses. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, as, just so that you know this, uh, there's extreme question as to the textual veracity of, 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 of uh, verse 29b through verse to the end of 29. This, and, it's, and you notice it's also shorter, though. It's obviously based on the Mark passage, verses 3 through uh, uh, 5, 3, 4, and 5. But it's shorter, more confined, and the earliest copies don't have it. Luke, as written originally, didn't include it. So Luke, as originally written, went... I beg, uh, I beg you, do not torment me, for Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. So as the copyists have mutilated Luke, it gets in there in Luke. A portion of it, but not all of it. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, if you look carefully, you'll notice that some of the detail in verse 3 is totally left out and some of the other detail is too. So are, do all of them have this business about the pigs being sort of Jesus taking pity on the, on the demons? And in Mark, it continues on, and he begged, if you read on in Mark, um, now a great herd of swine, verse 11 of Mark 5, now a great herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them leave, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. And Matthew has the, basically the same thing, uh, except here, um, yeah. Now a herd of many swine was feeding at some, some distance from them, and the demons begged him, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the swine, and behold, the whole herd rushed down and the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters, the herd then. And then in Luke it says, And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter, the house, enter these. So he gave them leave. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the deep bank into the lake and were drowned. Notice what's left out that's in Mark. The number 2,000. That's a lot of pigs. Here's just a lot. In Matthew and Luke, it just says, many. My, my version of Luke says they begged him not to order them 
to go back into the abyss. Uh -huh. They didn't want to go that place. They didn't want to go to hell. They wanted to go to the pigs. The piggies. So they could kill them. That's right. And not go back to the abyss. They went after the pigs drowned. Well, that was a trick. It's almost a trick. Jesus knows that if the if the demons go into the pigs, that the pigs will go crazy and go running. And that's exactly what happened. And then they end up going into the water. And the Jews always locate the abyss, access to the abyss, as going through water to get to it. Hence, we have in our modern conception of, of abyss as some deep place in the waters. Uh-huh. The Jews put hell down through the bottom of the waters. And if you go down through the pillars of the earth in the bottom of the oceans, the pillars of the earth, that's Sheol down there. That's not necessarily hell. That's just a place of rest. Mm -hmm. Later, Jews reinterpreted it as hell. So Jesus pulled this coffee break trick of yours. Yeah, right? that's right. He pulled the coffee break trick. Remember the coffee break, Linda? I don't tell it to Linda. Oh, there's a guy. He dies and goes to hell. And they were in the first room. Satan shows. Oh him. yeah, yeah. You it's told a me. It's yeah. a bunch of guys standing around drinking awesome. coffee in a room. You want to go in there? And he says, well, it looks awful boring. Goes to the second room. Bunch of guys standing around on their heads. No coffee. I don't want to stand on my head all day long. Let's see the third room. Goes into the third room, and there's a bunch of guys standing around in muck. No, there's a bunch of guys standing around in muck up to their waist drinking coffee. The first room has no coffee. It's just guys standing around. So the third room is guys standing around up to waist in muck, but they're drinking coffee. He goes, I can have coffee for all eternity. I guess I'll go stand in the muck. So they let him go into the stand in the muck. And as he's standing in the muck, he gets his coffee and he starts drinking. And a minute later, a demon comes in and says, okay, coffee breaks over, everybody on your head. <laughs> See, I've heard that one. I, mean, <laughs> I told that one last time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> all right. The, the, deep, the fact is, is that the detail what we have in Mark 3 through 5 of Mark 5 is, for the most part, lacking. It's entirely not in Matthew. And it's only been added by a later copyist in the Luke in an abbreviated form. It's not complete. So that is technically something that's unique to Mark. Only later copyists have added it in. Um, Can I ask you a quick question about sure. the the two guys that are only in what uh, Matthew? The two demons are only in Matthew. Yeah, two, Matthew's the only one that has two people, people. who are demons. occupied. Okay. Well, this beautiful little NIV commentary uh -huh. says this probably was two in the other ones, but the, only one. They, spoke. Only one spoke. You yeah, got that's that. What says. Well, it doesn't say that. I understand. I think it's a little bit. <laughs> Stretching there, little. a whole lot of it stretching. <laughs> the little stretching. You the same thing. Yeah. It's the same group of non-experts. <laughs> yeah, uh, Matthew mentions there were actually two men. Only, only one did the talking. Uh -huh. Well, sure, that's obvious. <laughs> Matthew doesn't. Matthew says there are two guys, but only one does any talking. Actually, you're right. Yeah. So. So obviously Luke and Mark just left out the fact there were two of them. No, Mark didn't have it. Matthew adds a second one. Luke right. does, never adds the second one because he doesn't know about it. Right, that's why he's saying Matthew one. invents the second one. <laughs> that's exactly right. But why? Good question. Because two, two 
two demons are better than one? <laughs> well, so simple. it's actually it's more than two demons. It's two demon-possessed people. Oh, yeah. We yeah. Don't know how many like, two, two possessed people are better than one. <laughs> are better. They're better, than one. they're better than one. And they're better than one to hit. If you're going to drive demons out, drive them out You might as well do it. Yeah. Out of two people. It's a thousand a apiece, don't you think? If it's two thousand gigs. <laughs> The it's the daily double. <laughs> the daily double. Now we understand. I Matthew got has the daily exorcism double. <laughs> the daily double exorcism. <laughs> no, Mark only has one. Luke is quoting Mark. Therefore, Mark, Luke only has one. Matthew's quoting Mark. But for some reason, Matthew decides to add an extra demon. It's the daily double. The two for one special here. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's the blue light special. It's more believable, isn't it? No. Mark 7, beginning at verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered together to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, observing the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they purify themselves. And there are many other traditions which they observe, the washing of cups and pots and vessels of bronze. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with hands defiled? And he said to them, You leave the... Well, let's, let's go ahead and quit there. Quit at the end of verse 5. All right. Sounds familiar. We've actually been through this before. Look at Matthew 15. Matthew 15, 1. Remember, we read all that nice little bit there. Gathering together, scribes from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands defiled, and that is, unwashed, and that the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat, eat unless they wash their hands, observe all the stuff about how they keep things clean, and they wash their pots. Man, they were good hygiene people. Well, Matthew 15, verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And of course he keeps going, but cuts that's the relevant. Quick. Cuts to the point. Yeah. Where's all the bit about the pots and the pans and the stuff? And, and mine, this has a all added parentheses. Oh, it does. Really? Well, the, in Mark. Yeah, mine Mark, has a yeah. In, Mark? in Mark. Parathetical statement. That's an aside. Luke, take a look at Luke. Eleven. Now that's interesting. It is in the NRSV, but there's no textual question as to its veracity. That is getting to be frustrating. <laughs> Why in the heck don't they do that a little more straightforward? <laughs> Like at the end of it, like at the end of Mark's gospel, as we will see, they put the long ending and the short ending in brackets to make sure that you notice that these things weren't in the original. But sometimes they only put it in parentheses, and that's just freaking annoying. That says on the bottom of the note, some early manuscripts, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. In dining couches. Yeah, it adds in the dining couches. Yeah. Oh boy. That's a nice Greek idea. Dining couches. Oh, yeah. You can see, you know, Nero laying on his couch, being grapes. fed a grape by, by slaves. Works for me. <laughs> <laughs> Luke eleven thirty seven. 
While he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Ooh, this is a very different kind of setting. Similar, but different. While he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisee, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of extortion and wickedness. Hmm. Cool. <laughs> but where's all this bit about from verse from Mark verse three through the end of verse four? Where's all that stuff? It's missing. It's been left. You would think Luke would include it because yeah. he's writing to Gentiles for whom this kind of information is kind of important. I can understand why they dump it for Matthew because, my gosh, Matthew's right to Jewish Christians. They know about the washing of the hands and the pots and the whatnot. And Luke actually makes an allusion to this thing in Mark because he has here this one little phrase from Jesus' lips. Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish. But he uses it as a metaphorical allusion to how, but inside you are full of extortion and wickedness. This makes it look like Mark is writing to non-Jews. <laughs> Mark is writing to non-Jews. He's writing to the church in Rome. Yeah. Mostly Gentile Christians. And he's often explained, translating Aramaic. He has several phrases. We'll see this when we read further on when we get into the trial and into the death of Jesus where we have Hebrew or Aramaic words that Mark is the only one to include and then translate. Uh, here Mark is giving that information and for some reason Luke decides to take it out and instead put into Jesus' lips the phrase, the, you now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup. And yeah, it's dish. kind of all, all that is implied there. I mean, that's, ah, that's a pretty he knows it. Luke knows that Mark includes this. He's read it there. But he doesn't include it in the preceding verses in Luke. It's been left out. It's another little piece that it's obvious that Luke knows that it exists. He kind of puts... Uh, a phrase or a word or two, the cup and the dish, into Jesus' own mouth. He uses it then to slap the Pharisees upside the face. But he shows that he knows that it's in Mark, because he's quoting from Mark. But for whatever reason, good reason, I don't know. I have no way of telling you. But he, for whatever reason, he left it out. He didn't include all that. Did, uh, remember the Egyptian thing again? Did they do a lot of that? Because they were influenced by the Egyptians. Maybe he thought they already knew. Uh, maybe, possibly. I'm just asking. I have no did the Egyptians idea. do a lot of cleaning? They did a lot of ceremonial Oh, they cleaning. did lots of ceremonial cleaning, too. Okay. He may have and, thought they already you know, made. you get the impression from some Jewish uh, scriptures and things that the Gentiles never washed. They most certainly washed. <laughs> Once a week without fail. <laughs> <laughs> but the Hebrews did make Their a ritual wives? out of cleaning things, <laughs> mm -hmm. much more so than most Gentiles did. It's, it's, it's great writing. I mean, he puts sure, the words in Jesus' mouth, you know, and in, what, 10, 12 words, he says exactly the same thing. Yeah. And it gets he, all takes, he takes two complete verses, excises it out, takes the point, 
turns it against the Jews and puts it in Jesus' lips. It's brilliant writing on Luke's part. Brilliant. It shows Luke's editorial brilliance as a writer. This is one of the best examples of it that I know of in this kind of confined space. Matthew just chops it out. It's not necessary. But he doesn't do anything with it. I mean, it's, it's disappointing. Luke uses it, but he uses it masterfully. But it's missing. Mark is the only one to include that type of material, that much material about it there. Okay. Um, let's let's uh, seven thirty-one. This is going to be an example of Mark tells a story, Matthew partly quotes it, Luke ignores it. Then he turn, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. And that's, by the way, a rather big trip. Um, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they besought him to lay his hand upon him. And taking him aside from the multitude privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. There you go, that's that Aramaic in the translation. Be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then he charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the dumb speak. Pretty extensive. Uh, Healing. Why would he tell him not to tell him? Um, good question. It seems to be, and this is just a summate why he would do that. He's not interested in being known of as a healer. There were lots of healers running around. He's not a healer. He's the Messiah. He wants to heal people because they need healing, but he wants to be, his principal identity will be the Messiah. Or it could be that he, when he took that circuitous route, so Herod wouldn't chop him into pieces. That's true too. He didn't want They didn't want him to trace and, and follow him. That's exactly. the other reason. But you know, he does do this timing. several times. That's that's in Mark, isn't it? The yeah, the secrecy, yeah. the secret message, the secret. Even the messiahship is somewhat secret because it's not ready yet. First of all, it was a little bit worried that if they proclaimed him as a messiah, he wouldn't be able to go to the cross. I mean, if they actually accepted the idea that he was the Jewish Messiah that they were expecting, well, my goodness, he wouldn't die on the cross. That's his job. So he has to keep that a secret, too. He has to keep his healing nature a secret. He has to keep secrets, and that is a characteristic of Mark's gospel. He's constantly telling them, shh, it's a secret. Matthew fifteen twenty nine. Notice the details of the travel is going to be different. And Jesus went on from there and passed along the Sea of Galilee. 
And he went up the mountain and sat down there, and a great crowd came to him, bringing with them the lame, the maimed, the blind, the dumb, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the throng wondered when they saw the dumb speaking and the maimed whole, and the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And that's a prophecy, isn't it? The yeah. blind shall walk. Oh, yeah. All of those things are connected up with a prophecy, with an Old Testament uh, proclamation. Um, however, as a parallel of Mark, that's an extremely weak reference. There's only a couple of word connections in there. For the most part, it's just a con it's a concept parallel. It's not a word for word parallel. Essentially, Mark seven thirty one through thirty seven goes without a parallel in the other two gospels. I, for one, appreciate leaving out the spitting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. we got to we're gonna get it again. <laughs> Jesus loved to heal by spitting. Aren't you glad we just do an anointing with oil here? <laughs> But the Matthew 15, 29 through 31 is sort of a generic healing story where you have all these people coming and they're all getting healed and that fulfills what the prophet said about the healing and the, the miracles that are going to be worked. This is a specific healing story in Mark and there's no parallel in Luke. And there's no real solid parallel in Matthew. That's as close as you can get. For whatever reason, Matthew leaves it out. And Luke totally leaves it out. Probably because Luke kind of viewed this method of healing as being a little bit superstitious. Yeah, Luke. Luke would, but Matthew would probably think it was a little bit unclean, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah, spitting, that's exchanging of fluids. Yeah, I can see why he left it out. Possibly. Okay, let's keep going. Here we got another one, very similar. 8, 22 through 26. 8, 22 through 26. A blind man is healed at Bethsaida. And so that you know, there is no parallel in either other gospel. Either Matthew or Luke. This stands alone. It's one of the more significant things. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Interesting parallel to what he did with the man just before leads him out leads him out of the village and when he had spit on his eyes yeah. <laughs> likes that. you know Gloria had eye surgery yesterday and I'm oh. sure she's glad the doctor doesn't do the <laughs> spitting yeah. and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands upon him he asked do you see anything and he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. <laughs> then again, he laid his hands upon his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and saw everything clearly. And he sent him away to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So is that another one? Keep your mouth shut. Uh -huh. Don't even go home. To me, this this kind of shows you know how how different people were in those days. You know, and, and how how in the world have we been able to filter and homogenize that to something that we can even stand to think about? <laughs> yes, right. The image here is just gross. 
Jesus spits in his eyes to heal. And it doesn't work. <laughs> you gotta do it again. It a good reason why this one wasn't included is not just the use of spit and how it's kind of like magic. It's that the first time it wasn't complete. If Jesus is the Son of God, when He heals you, you get healed. You know, okay, That's we gotta do it God's again. Sense of humor coming through, huh? That's just God's sense of humor. And, uh, well, talk about a sense of humor. Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Well, when did you last see a tree walk? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Monty Python's life. Yes, yes, it's Monty Python's life. I can crawl again. <laughs> I was blind, but now I see. Woo! <laughs> Exactly. Oh, oh, this is just absolutely wild. And and, and since he was seeing men that looked like trees walking, whatever the heck that means, Jesus again laid his hands upon his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored. Well... Spitting on it didn't work. I'm just going to lay hands on you again and maybe rub it in a little more. <laughs> At least he didn't spit on him again. <laughs> he just didn't rub it in enough the first time. But it, it kind of has the... I mean, they wouldn't make up this story. <laughs> no, no, you don't think, think it would really happen. You know, whereas, Somewhere. You, know, you can see Luke and Matthew kind of... Smoothing off the rough edges. You know. They couldn't smooth it off. They smoothed <laughs> off the rough edges. There's nothing left. <laughs> why they don't? That's why they leave it out. Yeah. They smooth it off so much. They go, oh, there's nothing Whoops. left. Oops, it's all gone. And that's okay. And that's okay. <laughs> there were other healing stories that they were quoting, though, that took the place of this one. They didn't need it. They had other healing accounts that were more dignified than this one. Not incredibly, but he's not, you know, well, spitting in your face. You know, Luke just lumped them all together, right? He did a lot of healing and uh -huh. blind people. Luke had a different way of doing it. Matthew had a different way of telling the story, too. Mark, here, this is a very primitive account. And if you look at, for example, what the Jesus Seminar does, they give that a green. There's no question in their minds that that's original because it is so dadgum weird. No one's going to You're going to make it up. Make it up better than that. I see men walking. And I see men, but they look like trees walking. What? <laughs> what are you smoking? No wonder you really can't see. You've been smoking on a dude. <laughs> you can see why they left that one out. So as I said, some of this stuff is ridiculous like like one sentence, big whoop de doo And then you get something like that. Yeah, that's important. And it got left out. Now, yeah, there are other healing stories that are, frankly, better than this one. Mm -hmm. But... <laughs> I think they saw that that was too questionable. People would question it. Just like you said, it's God. Why didn't it heal him? Why didn't... Time? Yeah, I think that Luke's discomfort with it probably has to do with the idea that Jesus had to redo it. Mm -hmm. Matthew's discomfort with it had to do with the spitting. What's the, the deal exchanging the, of bodily fluids? Though? Yeah, absolutely. What's the deal on the intently, though? Because that makes it look like it's the, I healed you, man. You had the grace. You just didn't fully accept it. Now he intently looked. And then he did that. I looked intently. Intently. Intently looked. Why would you put intently in there? 
Unless then again was, he laid him. his hands upon his eyes, and he, the man, looked intently and was restored. So he looked better this time. He looked more intently, more strong, right. with more purpose this time. Right. That puts the onus back on the man. Exactly. Maybe Jesus that's what the story is about. Jesus quite believe the first Well, you there could you utilize, you could utilize that to try to rescue the story. I'm sure preachers have. And said, put the onus back on the man. He really didn't look with faith the first time. Yeah, he started to see again. And then Jesus laid his hands on him again to give him more faith. And then he really saw. I mean, you could do that. I think that's terrible preaching myself. But but that's I could see Simplistic. that being done. Mark also seems to portray Jesus as more human than the others. I mean, there's a progression of... We've seen that already, where... Well, while, while there's no question that Mark calls Jesus the Son of God in the very first verse, as we saw, nevertheless, there is the humanity of Jesus really comes through strongly in Mark, less so in Matthew and in Luke, much less so in John. Yet it's also in John and also in Matthew and Luke. It's just weaker there. Mark tends to be have a stronger articulation of Jesus in his humanity. That's true. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, 9, 14 through 16. Another example of where Mark is more complete, Matthew and Luke chop out to simplify. Mark 9, beginning at verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd about them, and the scri and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Now, just so that you know, this immediately follows the transfiguration of Mount Tabor. This... Uh, the they is Peter, James, and John coming down with Jesus. All right. So this is following the, the transfiguration. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son, for he has a dumb spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able Matthew 17, 14 through 21. Beginning at verse 14 of Matthew 17. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. And so on and so on and so on. Luke 9, 37. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried, Teacher, I beg you to look upon my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out and convulses him till he foams and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Um, same story, all three, all three Gospels, 
but Mark includes, ironically, unlike normal places, other places, here Mark includes more details in verses 14 through 17 of Mark about what's going on when they come down the mountain. Totally unimportant to the rest of the story. Matthew and Luke apparently considered the details that Mark gives to be extraneous to the account. They leave it out. Again, Mark reads, And when they had come, and when they came to the disciples, that's Peter, James, John, and Jesus, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd about them, and scribes arguing with them. All this stuff is unique. And immediately all the crowd, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd members, one of the crowd answered him. And then we have the man talking. So Mark contains more detail here in the narrative that's left out of Matthew and left out of Luke. It's more of an introduction or a transition from the It's an example of one of those transitional pieces from the, the transfiguration story to this in which Mark is providing more details as to what's going on down at the bottom of the mountain when they come down from the transfiguration. So what's the reference of Matthew? Matthew 17, verse 14 and following. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, that's it. In other words, verse 14 is what Matthew retains, is all that Matthew retains of verses 14 through 17, part A, or 16 actually. It's, it's significant. It even cuts out Jesus' words. What are you discussing with them? The scene with the, the, the great crowd and the scribes and the disciples and immediately all the crowd sees Jesus and they are greatly amazed and they rush him and he then talks to them. All that's left out. That's not important. Matthew and Luke go for brevity here to get to the important part. Mark includes the descriptive material. Interestingly, that's reverse of what we yeah. see so frequently elsewhere. Usually it's Mark that's the brief one and Matthew and Luke are fleshing him out. Here, Matthew and Luke are making him briefer. They're chopping out all that material. Also seems to be a pretty big difference in the answer. I mean, the disciples ask, why couldn't we? Oh yeah, further down? Yeah. Oh yes. They come up with different answers. Oh yes, the answers are different, absolutely. Uh, going back to Mark 19, verse 19 of, of Mark 9. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. I was like my dog when she, <laughs> when she has too much chocolate. And Jesus asked his father, and Jesus asked his father, how long, oh, the boy's father, how long has he had this? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. 
But if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's unique. The other details are there re-sequenced in Matthew and Luke. But that is different. If you can, Jesus says, verse 23, if you can, all things, this is, by the way, the next one in the list, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you dumb and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And it keeps going. But that phrasing there is unique. That's that's liturgy. I mean, that's used in liturgy or someplace. It most certainly is. Yeah. It most certainly is. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And if you go over to Matthew, uh, and Jesus, it, 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 uh, one it, it just skips it. <laughs> one sentence. Huh? One Jesus rebuked the demon. Yeah, came out of him, and the blood was cured instantly. Yeah, bang on. Bang on. And Luke does something very similar. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Well, at least he didn't spit on him. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. I expect. I think the boy was doing enough spitting for everybody. Yeah, yeah the boy was he doing was enough spitting, <laughs> spewing of ectoplasm for everybody. That's not in here. But you notice Mark is far more extensive on this story and gives all of this bit about, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I mean, that's a very important phrase. And Jesus' words to him before that, he says, all things are possible to him who has faith, who believes. That's extremely important. It's only found there. Mark likes to describe Jesus' encounters with demons in some detail. Yeah. We've seen a couple of examples of that. And you get some examples of that in the others, but here it's Mark who's more extensive, far more extensive, which makes for an interesting Comparison between the two. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's not there in Matthew and Luke. It's just blango. I mean, Jesus answered in verse 17 of Matthew 17, and Jesus answered, O faithless and perverse generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Of course, that we had that in Mark just a moment before. Bring him here to me, and Jesus rebuked him. Bang. All that stuff from verse 20 down and all this stuff of his his conversation with the dad it, it, it's not there it's not there 950 part b and you're going to say huh? from that impressive gap to this yeah it's the bit about the salt if you go to mark 949 for everyone will be salted with fire verse 50 Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. That have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another is not found in either Matthew or Luke. The first part is, 
in, in a sense. The second part is not. In Matthew 5.13 it says, It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown into the trodden underfoot by men. If, uh, um, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. That's all Matthew has to say. And Luke says something very similar, well, somewhat similar. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is fit neither for the land nor for the dunghill. Men throw it away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Whereas Mark says, uh, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Those words of Jesus are totally left out of Matthew and Luke and are found nowhere. You're looking for the parallel from our time when we went through it with the, yes. in the Sermon on the Mount. Exactly. Yeah, the Exactly right. It's, it's right around light for both of them too, uh -huh. isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. So that's, that's a very minor example, but yet another verse that gets done. Hmm. Okay, um, uh, a significant one. This is very important. Mark 14. Not, yeah, Mark 14. And this is significant because it's Mark's signature, or it's usually called Mark's signature. Mark 14. Now, this is in the garden, and the arrest has just occurred. Verse 48 of Mark 14. Then Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. All of them deserted him and fled. A certain young man was following him wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. Verse 51 and 52 is found only in Mark. It is not in Matthew. It is not in Luke. And... It is usually identified as Mark's signature. That's Mark. That's so who is the young man? The Mark young man is Mark. Mark. Oh, okay. The young man is John Mark, whose house they had just had the Last Supper in. And he follows Jesus and the disciples to the garden and is watching this like through the, through the bushes. Mm -hmm. Watches the whole thing happen, decides to follow when, they've take, when they're taking Jesus down the Kidron Valley and across and up to Caiaphas' house, he's going to follow them. But they catch him. The soldiers catch him, and he runs away, leaving behind his clothes, his loincloth. Remember the Passion of the Christ? And that was in the background. Yeah, the it, is. There. it is. Uh -huh. He did a good job on that one. A certain young man was following him. Now, there's no that that little that little bit. Those two verses, they just kind of hang out there. What the heck purpose <laughs> is that in there? Matthew and Luke don't include it. It's totally left out there. It's found in Mark, 
And it's not uncommon in ancient literature for the author to put, if they were there, to put themselves into the story in some innocuous way, especially if they weren't a principal actor. And here he does this. Clive Cussler does the same thing in his books. What? Clive Cussler does, does the same that? thing in his books. So did Philip Jose Farmer. He, <laughs> he would often put a, ver a version of himself into the books. You know, but here, here, this little bit, this this fella here is historically by preachers in the church fathers, Eusebius, Justin Martyr, many of the early folks identified that as being Mark. Sort of his signature. It's not Matthew, it's not Luke. And it's important because it sets Mark up then with a, uh, you know, here's just one little opportunity to get into the story. <laughs> And now we come to the most extensive piece of all, which isn't even in Mark, and that's the ending. Go to Mark 16. The oldest copies of Mark's Gospel, which are found in Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, to uh, Uncial manuscripts dating from the uh, 4th century, from about 325 to 375 AD in that time frame. Two great big manuscripts that contain most of the Bible, but the entirety of the New Testament. The um, uh, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus end at the end of verse 8 of chapter 16. So they went out, they, the women, went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that's where Mark's gospel ends, in the, not only the two oldest and best manuscripts that we have, but in quite a few other manuscripts of the New Testament that contain Mark. Uh, a smattering of them. Most manuscripts of the New Testament contain verses 9 through 20, but in many cases there are, there's lots of textual difference. The, the text has drifted around a lot. It's, it's been changed a lot by readers and by copyists over time. There are, there's one manuscript that doesn't have 9 through 20. It has only the shorter ending, which reads, And all that had been commanded them, they told briefly to those around Peter. And afterward, Jesus himself sent out before them, out through them, from the east to the west, the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. That's the shorter ending. It's found in one copy of Mark standing by itself, and it's found in a few copies of Mark along with 9 through 20. And in many of those early copies of Mark, like Codex Alexandrinus and several others, 9 through 20 and the shorter ending are annotated by this copyist and saying, we're not sure, but we don't think this belongs. Um, it's not found in some early translations of the Latin text or the Syriac text. 
9 through 20 is found in most copies of the Greek New Testament, starting with the fourth century, uh, 5th century with the Codex Alexandrinus and running all the way up until the end of the, tech, the manuscript period in the, in the 1600s with the beginning of the printing press. Uh, most translations into Latin, including the Vulgate, the most translations into Syriac and Aramaic and Coptic and all the other uh, basic ancient languages of the ancient world that the New Testament was translated into contain the long ending, but it is lacking in the oldest and best copies that we have. So the question remains, was there no ending to Mark's gospel? Or was the ending lost and the short and the long ending are attempts to try to recreate it? And it depends upon who you ask amongst New Testament scholarship as to what the answer would be. I think the short ending is definitely an attempt to kind of give this abrupt ending in, at the end of verse 8 some kind of closure. I think the ending, verses 9 through 20, the traditional long ending, is an attempt to do the same thing, summarizing the other three Gospels in the process. You can see where Matthew is summarized to an extent, echoed. You can see where Luke is summarized to an extent and echoed. And you can even see elements of John's Gospel summarized in an extent and echoed. Let's look at that. Now, after he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared, this is verse 9 of, of chapter 16. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went out and told those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After this, he appeared to another form in another form to two of them as they were walking into the into the country and they went back and told the rest but they did not believe them now the first the first section there verses 9 through 11 are kind of summarizing some of Matthew verses 12 and 13 is summarizing the 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 appearance on the road to Emmaus from Luke that's directly it's a reference to the, uh, uh, the disciple, uh, Cleopas and, and, the, and the other disciple, on the road to Emmaus, and they have their conversation with Jesus, and they get to Emmaus, and he breaks bread, and suddenly their eyes are open, and they recognize him, and then he disappears, and then they run back to Jerusalem. The difference is, is that in Luke's gospel, when they get back, they are already proclaiming that the Lord has been seen by Mary Magdalene and by Peter. But there were still many like Thomas who disbelieved. Later he appeared to the eleven, verse 14. Later he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were sitting at the table. And he upbraided them for their lack of faith and stubbornness. Because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Does anybody know where that one is echoing? That's the Thomas story. Uh -huh. Thomas said, I won't believe yeah, it. Yeah. And he hears about the, 
the, the resurrection and he says, I ain't going to believe it until I see the holes in his hands and put my finger into the holes and into his side. I won't believe it. And then Jesus shows up to the eleven when they're in the upper room at table by themselves and he says, behold my hands in my side. Have uh, faith. Do not doubt, but have faith. And Thomas doesn't put his fingers in the holes. He simply goes to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. But Jesus presents himself for it and in a sense, in a positive way, is kind of scolding them but presenting himself to the test. Okay, don't, don't doubt any longer. Have faith. I'm right here. Here, feel. And to Thomas, the doubter. And here in Mark, this summation of that event is a little more negative but it, it kind of does echo the event. It, it really does. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. Here, this is going to be interesting. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. Kind of echoing Jesus' call to the disciples to go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we have in Matthew's Gospel. And these signs will accompany you, those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues. That's an echo of the Acts of the Apostles in the giving of, of uh, uh, the glossolalia. And they will pick up snakes in their hands. I'm sorry, uh, that's the one thing I don't want to do. <laughs> I mean, that's along with the spitting bit. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's the sacrament I don't want to have anything to do with. And they, they will pick up snakes in their hands, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them, and they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Echoing the Acts of the Apostles in multiple events in the Acts of the Apostles. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went, uh, that uh, St. Stephen, I see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. And they went out and proclaimed the good news everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that accompanied it. 9 through 20 reads as a crafted attempt to conclude Mark's gospel in a way that is coherent with Matthew, Luke, and John, but not totally quoting any of them. It's certainly not the original ending because there's no echo of this. There's too much here that would you couldn't understand why they would leave out. Yeah. There's just too much why Matthew would leave out parts or Luke would leave out parts or John would leave out parts. It just makes no sense. Um, the original ending, I think, is lost, which is not uncommon to have the, the last bit of, of a manuscript be lost early on. I think the end of Mark's gospel is lost. Some, some have said this in some way, kind of ending it there, if that is the original ending, kind of captured the, the 
the status of the church at that time. You know, about all they had was the. I mean, if you if you accept this, well, then it's like, do you believe the story or not? You know? <laughs> well, I mean, living in verse eight. Yeah. The only problem with leaving in verse eight is that we absolutely know that that's not what happened. They went out and told. Otherwise, how do you have the story? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, by definition. I mean, by pure definition, you would not have yeah. it if they didn't go out and they, tell people. They weren't. Yeah. So, as a literary device, yes. But it is so abrupt. It it begs for something. It begs for something. And so, something like the short ending, but a little more extensive, could easily be done. But it doesn't have to be extensive at all. But the short end, I mean, you already have, you know, Jesus, the tomb is empty. They, the women have been told what to do. Go do it. And then it ends with this conflicting bit. They went out and they fled from the tomb and terror and amazement had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. But we happen to know for a fact that they eventually did say something to somebody. Otherwise you wouldn't have the gospel at all. <laughs> but as a literary device, you're right. It does have that impact. It has that punch. And it just depends upon who you ask as to whether or not there was an, 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 more uh, anything beyond that. It reads awfully abrupt to me. Who, who might possibly have written the rest of it then? We don't know. It was extant as early as the second century. It is quoted by church fathers as early as the second century. It's, it's in some of, not all, but some of the early translations into Latin. It's quoted very early. But, and even though it's quoted very early, keep in mind there's lots of differences. There's things added to it, there's things taken out of it. It's sometimes more paraphrased, it's not always this way. Most of them read this way, but there are lots of variations. Uh, the textual history for it takes a couple of pages. There, there are lots of variations. We don't know who wrote it, but we know it wasn't Mark. It's not his no, type No, it's not of Mark. It's not his type of writing. It doesn't follow the earlier portions of how Mark functions. Uh, it was a post, uh, post-apostolic post author, but written sometime prior to about 150, because we have quotes of it as early as 150. So it's early, but it's not 70 AD when Mark was written. So that's kind of where we stand. Did What did Matthew and Luke have? We don't know at the end of Mark. We don't know. When we get to that, when we, when we get to that point, and we've read through Mark and then Matthew and then Luke at this point, we might take a look at their commonalities and see what they, have, what they share in common and what they differ on. And there, there have been whole dissertations done on this subject in which some propose that that Mark had some kind of a story of an appearance and that Matthew and Luke are expanding upon those stories. And then there are others who say that Mark had nothing like that. It ends in verse 8. And it just kind of depends upon whose opinion you follow. I tend to think that there was an ending. It wasn't very long. It was longer than the short ending, but not as long as the long ending. And not nearly as detailed, and certainly doesn't summarize Matthew, Luke, and John, which is what this is doing. 
for, for one thing, there's too much in here that is, is suspect of coming from somewhere else. It just, it just is, as a, as a summary. Are there any questions? That's not much material. That's really, and, and, and some of the material that's, that's unique to Mark is rather inconsequential. There's only, you've got the self-growing seed, the blind man of Bethsaida, and the extensive additions to the healing of the epileptic boy in chapter 9. And Mark getting stripped naked, and, and then the long ending, and, or short ending, and that's it. That's it. That's why it's only 2%. Yeah. That's the 2%. The substantive portion of it is the, the, the self-growing seed, the incomplete parable in 7, the blind man at Bethsaida, and the epileptic boy in 9. And that's it. That's the substantive part. The rest are little one or two phrase transitions from one to another. From one part of a story to another part of a story. The beginning, chapter two, chapter three. Little, little, oh, and of course, them trying to seize, the, the, the family trying to get Jesus because he's gone crazy. Yeah. I forgot that that's one. <laughs> but that's very short. I will just point out, if I may. Sure. <laughs> Please. <laughs> what that may or that not. original mark, you know, uh, ends with them saying, nothing to anyone. The shorter ending follows with the they told Peter. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I mean it contradicts the first part. Yeah. And, sure and then the longer ending says nothing about Mary Not at all. saying anything to anybody. So it didn't seem to bother these yeah. writers that that, state, that thing ended with them saying nothing to anybody. You have to remember yeah. they just didn't say anything right away. You know, That's they, the basic idea. Exactly. And then exactly. that whole bit about them not saying anything to anybody gets dropped in Matthew and Luke mm -hmm. because they then go tell the story about them going and telling folk, which you then see substantiated in both, in a sense, both endings here in Mark. You have the short ending, and all that had been commanded them, they told briefly <laughs> in the short ending. And in the long ending, now, after he, it just, it just assumes that, well, they were afraid, but then apparently they did go and tell. Um, neither ending is, is original, period. I mean, they wanted to make sure Peter got in on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but no ending is original that we have. Um, the long ending absolutely cannot be. The shorter ending, ironically, if. If either one had to be, I'd vote for the shorter ending mm -hmm. because I think it's actually something, if there is an ending, it's a little more like that. It's, it's a briefer statement. It'll say, they never said anything ever for they were afraid, but they overcame their fear and went and told the disciples. And Yeah, all it, you have to do is do, you know, exchange Jesus, yeah. eight and six. Maybe they just come out of order. I don't think so. <laughs> but it's still, it's, it, it, you really can't say. And then, of course, it may very well be the chapter, that verse eight is the last verse of it, and that was it. But it is awfully abrupt. Awfully abrupt. And it depends upon who you ask as to which is the one that you use. I mean, which, what the answer you choose is. But there's no single current scholar 
even the most conservative I know amongst, amongst scholarship today would say that the long ending is valid. It's only your fundamentalists who would say that. Um, there are some who make an argument for the short ending, but they are rare and few and far between. Most would say either there was no ending other than verse 8, or whatever ending existed has been lost. Uh, Kurt Aland and Bruce Metzger, two of the most important scholars for the, for the textual history of the New Testament, both agreed that the, and the commentary, Metzger's commentary here on the text says that uh, yes, uh, the ending is lost. We don't know what it was. It probably was not substantial because otherwise there would have been a greater impact on Matthew and Luke. I think he's right. I don't think it was a substantial additional verses after verse 8. But something more than just (laughs) (laughs) Although it is an interesting idea as a literary device. It's a little... It's like he was trying to say something pretty important. Well, it's all faith. I mean, it's all... Yeah, it's all. If you leave out the rest of it, it's all faith. Everything's based on faith, period. You didn't see anything? The lady saw it, but they didn't tell anybody. Well, they saw something. They saw an empty tomb, and they saw an angel who told them to go. But you, hearing the story, if you don't have all the rest of it. And then they didn't exercise faith because they didn't say anything to anybody. So it's the story of failed faith. faith. Except that Which denigrates the women because they become the first proclaimers. Here's the reason why it's probably invalid to say that Mark's short ending actually reflects the reality. It's because Matthew and Luke have this bit about Mary Magdalene being the first proclaimer of the resurrection of Jesus, whereas in, in Mark, she's the first one to have it proclaimed to her, and then she shuts her mouth and says nothing. Are Matthew and Luke going to give the first proclaimer of the gospel, the first proclaimer of the resurrection to a woman? Not of their own accord, they're not. Apparently, and I think probably, if anything, it says, but Mary Magdalene got her guts up and went and told yeah. the disciples. Something like that. And, and to me, that makes more sense. Otherwise, I don't see why in the world they would come up with, invent, the story of Mary Magdalene being the first. No, it ought to be Peter, James, or John. Uh, and they try to do it. They try to fashion it that way, but they can't get over the story itself and its antiquity of it being Mary Magdalene making the first proclamation of the resurrection. And Mark's gospel, if it ends at verse 8, it, it says she gets it and then she fails. She doesn't, she gets too afraid and she keeps her mouth shut. No, but it doesn't have to say that, you know. It doesn't have. It just, it just stops. The story stops. You know, uh-huh. everybody knows what what really <laughs> happened after that. You're talking as a literary device. The, uh, yeah, it's 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 the. I think that's it makes some sense that way, you know, and it also kind of captures how early Christians might have felt about the persecution under and yeah. the curtain falls the right pressure, there. You know, yeah. the. Uh, it's it's another theory, is all saying that is that it, there's there's a real mood to that you know when, how much of that mood is modernistic that's a that that well, is a that is a ironic literary device yeah oh yeah that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. is it's, it's very, it's problematic very modern, with yeah. jewish literary devices yeah. that would be one of my problems with reading it that way the irony is awfully heavy there oh yeah but the uh, I, I don't disagree with that at all the, uh, non-endemic, though, of Jewish approaches. 
Well, you just told us this wasn't a particularly Jewish audience. <laughs> yeah, but it's written by it's written by a Jewish Christian, but two Gentile Christians. True. I, I, I just, they might have got the irony. Those Greeks, they're they are. They are. So that's where it would come they in. Are very ironic. That's where it would come in. If it would come from anywhere, it would come from the Greek interpretation of it. But then it raises the question of the chicken and the egg. Well, where did we get this Mary Magdalene bit, her seeing it and then proclaiming it? I don't know. Matthew and Luke seem to both have it. So does Mary Magdalene. So, so, does, so does John John's gospel. That's the real kicker. Yeah, it stuck around all the way through to the end of the first century. And they got a woman being the first proclaimer. Um, I, I, just, I just have a problem with it, with eight being the ending. Yeah. For that reason, especially, it doesn't. It 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 makes it more problematic to explain how Matthew and Luke get their bit about Mary Magdalene being the first proclaimer if she shut up out of fear. Uh, I, that's 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 hard to deal with. If, however, it then immediately followed that after being afraid, something happened which built her faith, and then she went and talked to the disciples, and if that's what it contained, kind of a la what we have in Matthew and Luke, but a much briefer version of it, then, then that would then lend itself to what we then have in Matthew and Luke and maintain the, the continuity between the three on the issue of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is always the most fascinating problem with any study of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. All four Gospels affirm her as the first evangelist of the resurrection. The early church being a patriarchal society would not have invented that. They just wouldn't have done it. Listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2010 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.